What's up, heroes? Welcome to episode 79. Today I'm joined by Dan Giffen, an Ableton certified instructor, producer, and performer who's worked with Grammy-winning artists helping them level up their Ableton skills. As one of only 340 Ableton certified instructors worldwide, Dan has taught Ableton Live workshops at SAE, Sweetwater, and dozens of recording studios. He offers private lessons and has collaborated with major label artists including Mac Miller, Machine Gun Kelly, The Band Perry, and more. Additionally, Dan runs the LiveProducersOnline.com website, hosts his own podcast, and creates crazy jazz-infused bass tracks under the artist name Philia. As Philia, Dan and his group have performed at major festivals and have shared the stage with Tiesto, Slushy, and Manic Focus. During the interview, we talk about his music production workflow, his live performance setup, which involves both Ableton and a live band, and his eight-week release strategy for new tracks. But first, cue the intro music. All right, Dan, welcome to the Producer Life Podcast. Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. I'm, I'm excited to have you here. You uh, have got some amazing uh, jazzy bass music, and you've got um, a ton of experience with Ableton, which I'm really uh, excited to kind of dig into and uh, uh, geek out on. Yeah, no, I'm definitely an Ableton nerd for life. So <laughs> yeah, I could sit here and geek out with you for the next couple hours and still not be satisfied. There's a there's a lot to learn in Ableton still. It's a, it's an amazing DAW. Yeah, it is. It is. And I've, I've really enjoyed it. Maybe let's, let's start by introducing, uh, talk to me about how you got your start. I know, I know you've got a jazz background. Yeah. So I played jazz drums, um, throughout college and high school, which really honestly, kind of going back before that, when I first started getting into music, my parents were like, what instrument are you going to play? Like there wasn't a choice growing up, you know, <laughs> it was just like, which one are you going to do? So I chose drums. Um, and honestly, bless my parents because anybody who has had a kid that played drums growing up since like they were little, it's, it's a loud instrument. So mm -hmm. they, uh, yeah, they always were really encouraging me playing music and kind of got my start just joining the band ended up hating the whole band kind of life. And I was like into sports too. And it was a lot to do both. So I just ended up playing drum set at home. And uh, my dad actually bought me a drum set like a month before he passed away when I was 13. So that kind of really fueled my passion for music and just decided to go all in after that. And uh, yeah, I went to, went to college, got my big boy college degree because that's what people are supposed to do. And uh and then I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just more passionate about music. So decided to uh, just kind of take the piggy bank and move to New York City and uh, spent a lot on education there. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with DubSpot. It's I actually, yeah. So I DubSpot, for anybody who doesn't know, is like a really hot school back in, I don't know. I went, I went there in 2012, 2013. And that was kind of its prime time. It was really famous for putting uh, Ableton tutorials on the map on YouTube. So like their YouTube tutorials is really kind of, they were like the first, I guess, to really do it big on YouTube for Ableton tutorials, which now is like everybody and their grandma has a YouTube tutorial now. But um, yeah, I got really lucky to study under some amazing people at that school, finished their Ableton music producer program and uh, ended up taking another course with Daniel Wyatt, who is a, platinum mastering engineer he's done stuff with aretha franklin and old dirty bastard and a lot of the legends so he kind of took me under his wing which was really cool he's an amazing guy shout out to daniel wyatt and uh he he runs the school next level sound now and uh we uh we really had a good time he taught me a lot with the studio and learned kind of my mixing and mastering roots from him and uh i guess fast forward ran out of money roommate issues <laughs> moved from Brooklyn to Indianapolis, where my family and my dog were. And, uh, you know, I love my dog. So I moved back here, spent time with her and um, try to figure out what was going on in life. Got the nine to five job with my marketing degree I got. Still wasn't happy. I was making amazing money and uh, decided to just save up for three years and spend it all on a studio, like a nice home studio. And then uh, I quit to just teach Ableton lessons and work at a donut shop that I loved. 
<laughs> and everybody, everybody that I was working with at the nine to five job is like, so where are you going to work now? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm quitting my nice uh, 401k and making good money every year to go work at a donut shop and teach. They, they thought I was crazy. And uh, I was like, yeah, it's just what I'm going to do it. So I just went for it, took a leap of faith, and uh, it really it worked out, man. I had more time. I met a lot of cool people just teaching around town in Indianapolis, um, where I'm currently at now for the time being, and uh, just kind of met a lot of interesting people touring through the city. Uh, landed working at uh, the Lodge Studios, uh, which right now isn't really around, but it was pretty prime um, up until a couple of years ago and was around since like the early 80s and had like John Legend there and a lot of other big names. Ariana Grande toured through. That's where oh. I got to meet Mac Miller and uh, got to see his workflow in Ableton Live and give him some tips and hang out. Uh, so yeah, it was, that was kind of a, a huge pivot in my career where I was like, oh, I could actually teach and do what I love every day and uh, go deeper into music and network. So yeah, I mean, it's been happily ever after since then. Yeah, and I left the lodge back in like 2015, I think 2016. Was so. there was there a particular turning moment where you realized, hey, I just need to take this leap of faith, or um, was it a, a very calculated? You said you saved several years, so obviously there was some thought that went behind this. But what sort yeah. of pushed you over the edge to jump? I don't know, man. I I heard. I, I guess I I've seen people and friends who I thought were amazingly talented but that I, they never actually took the risk to go for it. Um, and for me, I, I just was like, you know, I want to make music a career. I don't know exactly what that looks like yet, but if I could just wake up every day and make music or be involved in music in some fashion and have a good, healthy living doing that, like that's, that's what I want. So I just kind of went after it and uh, yeah. te- teaching happened to be, the easiest way to make make money, I guess, in that regard, starting out. So, yeah, I, I guess just the passion of music and just the idea of being able to be saturated in it all the time was just kind of a passion for mine. Just went for it. Uh, yeah, I, I imagine your marketing degree is going to be a big help because you know there's there's two different sides to the music. There's sort of the performance and the art half of it. But then the other half is the business half. And at least with the marketing degree, you've got a, a really solid grasp on what's required there. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I didn't learn much about marketing in college. <laughs> oh, okay. Like, I really, I really didn't. I, I feel like a lot of it was real world experience right after I graduated. Um, and just even, you know, that job I had in Indy when I came back from New York. And uh, I really learned kind of on site that way more so. My professor in college, Super nice guy, but I mean, he didn't even know how to use a smartphone. He was teaching digital marketing, which I was just like, why am I paying for this? Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah, because I was on your website today and I saw you Facebook pixel me and I was like, ah, I know what he's doing. So I'm, I'm oh, looking for yeah. those targeted ads now. Yeah. Now, now, if you see it, just don't click the link, go straight to the website. So I don't have to pay the extra <laughs> 80 cents. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's cool, man. No, thank you. I, I've, I actually learned a little bit about the whole Facebook Instagram advertising um, for artist side of music um, from, I, I picked up a couple of things from entrepreneur mm-hmm. uh, shout out entrepreneur actually had Circa who is the founder of that. It's an artist marketing uh, platform basically teaches artists how to grow a fan base online and a lot of yeah. other things to monetize their music. But uh, Circa, the founder was on my podcast and I host the Ableton music producer podcast and uh, he shared a lot of great insights. I ended up joining the membership after I interviewed him. And I was like, wow, there's some really good things. And there's thing, something called a fan finder campaign that they teach. And basically, how do you create a, a short, like, say, two minute video and set it up in Facebook advertising platform to target the right audiences of people that might like your music and catch their attention and really connect with them. And email is a huge thing these days. If anybody out there who's wanting to make a living as an artist, if you aren't collecting people's emails, get on that. Because I, I feel like that's been the biggest way for me to reach and connect with my audience too. Yeah. I I was really good about setting up my uh, email service provider early on. MailChimp uh, is who I'm using and, and collecting yeah. email addresses. And then I find myself always struggling to write regular emails. It's so much easier to just tweet 
yeah. uh, than write a well-written email. Yeah. But, but I, I know I need to get back into that more. Yeah, I used to use MailChimp. I actually use Wix now. Um, I feel like it's a website building machine for dummies, and they have a built-in email marketing platform too that I've used. That okay. I really like. Yeah, I hadn't realized that. All right, but but you you manage you can re- like if you decided to change to a different email service provider like Mailchimp or Drip or something like that, you can take all the email addresses with you when you leave Wix. Yeah, yeah, you can totally just export it as like a CSV or something, and just okay. uh, yeah, yeah, I like it. It's it's pretty user friendly. All right. Awesome. Well, I, uh, I don't want to get too far. I definitely want to talk about performing and I want to talk about Ableton. Um, I, I, I want to focus though on, on your music because you've got, you've got a really crazy unique style. As I was listening to it, I was like, man, this is really jazzy in it, but it's got a lot of bass to it. I was like, it's jazzy bass. And then I was looking at the way you describe it. And that is exactly what it is. Yeah. Uh, which, thank you, dude. I appreciate that. Yeah. You've got that genre nailed. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. No, that means a lot to me. And that's so encouraging to hear as a producer. I think a lot of people would agree, like one of the hardest things is like, what is my sound? You know, mm-hmm. like what it, what is my sound as an artist, you know, being original. And I feel like I'm getting closer to that right now. I don't know if I'd say I'm there yet because I, I feel like I'm always evolving in my style of writing. Mm-hmm. But, but no, I, it's really encouraging to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, it's it, it's it's an amazing and unique and and uh, chill but energetic style. I, I really liked it, and I was looking on YouTube trying to see see some examples of you performing and and how that workflow works. But uh, aside from a couple of short clips where you're zoomed out, I really couldn't figure out what you were doing uh, during the performances. Yeah, so we can nerd out about that if you want. Yeah, I do. I do. But tell me, let's talk about the music first before I forget. Um, so you've got your latest track, I Want You. That's that's the most recent release, correct? Yeah. Yeah. That came out, what was it? Almost exactly a month ago. Yeah. Okay. Uh, tell me about uh, how that song came about and, and sort of where you started with that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times, more recently, I feel like with my style of music being a lot more dance-driven, um, I like to start with almost the concept of the drop or at least like the main hook. And mm-hmm. I, I've started really focusing more on just building that up first. Um, and that was a prime example, I think, with that that track um, or at least like the first drop, just coming up with like a rhythm. And like I said, I'm a drummer. So a lot of times I start with drums and then I just kind of find um, I, I'll move from like drums to either like a melody or I'll just find a sound and I'll just maybe throw that sound in Ableton simpler or sampler and just create kind of some weird pattern, um, whether it's melody or even whether it turns into a bass. Um, and then just really after I kind of established like the drums and rhythm and even that bass or that lead hook melody, uh, usually I kind of move into what I would call like creating really good contrast. And so what I do is I'll think about, okay, what things can really benefit or complement the sound and the vibe that I already have flowing with my, my main drums and this main hook melody or this main bass line um, that can really complement it. And then uh, it's, it kind of feels like producing music is like almost like a like an arcade game now. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> with Ableton so colorful, I feel like I'm just like splattering these like Bob Ross paint colors and just kind of smearing sounds now more than I have before. Um, and I play with a live band. So mm-hmm. a lot of times I'll build out that main, say like 16, 32 bar section. And then I'll start to kind of expand off of that and like what elements instruments can I take from this main drop and kind of stretch it out or throw some reverb on it and turn it into like an intro. Maybe I'll cut out the drums, take like this pad, put like an LFO on it make it kind of wiggle in and out as an intro and kind of build up into that main drop I made from there. And then I have the band, like I was saying, come in and uh, Andy plays keys with me right now and Curtis plays sax. They're good friends. And so I'll just kind of invite them over after I have like a solid structure of the song. And just be, and they just kind of let them play around with ideas. And uh, comping in Ableton Live, finally in eleven, is is fantastic now. And they took it to a whole another level with just the workflow of comping. And uh, it's really fun just to hit play. I'll just like walk away and make some coffee or something, and just let them jam out in the same sixteen thirty two bar loop, and then come back 
cut up, stretch, rearrange, take what they did, maybe make it nothing like it originally sounded like when they played it, but even just using it to do something interesting in the song. Uh, yeah, that's kind of been my workflow, like long story short, I guess, in a really roundabout way. That's that's awesome. And, and uh, it's so cool that you've got the live instruments in addition to samples. And do you use much in terms of synthesizers or is it mostly simpler sampler sampling stuff? Oh, yeah, man. I have a, a Sub 37. It's a Moog. And okay. I just I love this synth. It's so sexy. And um, it's great for bass. It's great for lead synth. Uh, it's mostly what I use it for. It has some cool laser sounds, too. But everybody <laughs> can't, loves can't laser. go wrong with lasers right i mean if you don't like lasers just get out like that's how i feel <laughs> yeah and, but actually i have one more thing with that is um using like a analog hardware synth with my push 2 has uh-huh. been a game changer for me um for sure because especially with the push 2 you can lock everything into key so i can play um like a really quick loop on the push 2 ableton's controller and then I'll just run over and just play with the filter knobs and record the automation moving knobs on the hardware synth. That's kind of my main workflow. Okay. So push push two to sort of lock your key and and you're using that to control a hardware synth and then you're recording all the automation into Ableton. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of my main thing. I love it. Interesting. All right. So you're you're using the push two clearly there for for the composition process and then I noticed in some of the videos that I could make it out, you've got, you use both an APC 40 MIDI controller, but you also use the push two during your performances. How, how do you, what do you use for what during a performance and what are you doing while um, the other band members are playing keys or the sax? Uh, you know, that's a good question. That's a really good question. Mostly I'm using the APC 40 and I run the entire band's, um, through my audio interface, and then I use the APC to actually affect what the saxophone and the keys are playing in real time. And then okay. I jump, I jump back and forth um, between DJing on my APC and then playing live drums, standing drums, uh, with like an electronic pad. Um, I have a, a Roland SPD that I absolutely love, so I'll play that for a lot of drum triggered sounds. But I actually don't use the push live that much anymore. Um, I used to. And I, I just find for my workflow, I, I really like push for the studio more than stage. Um, part of that is because of the crossfader workaround, but also just because, honestly, I just haven't done a ton of live looping with a push. And I mean, I have some, and I know how to do it. I just haven't actually incorporated that into a lot of my live workflow because I do most of the looping with my APC. Okay. So let me, let me make sure I understand the, the live setup. So you've got everything flowing through your audio interface into Ableton. You're, you've also got the drums coming in, uh, which are triggering sound clips. You've got, and then you're manipulating everything using audio effects, maybe send, send, send channels. Yeah. Yeah. So I set up my send channels for our in-ear mix as well. Um, so that way that the band can hear whatever, they want to hear and as much of what they want to hear. And then um, I can also send effects as well on my returns. So I use my returns for both our, both our in-ear mixes and for just sending random effects, like adding some delay or some reverb on the saxophone or the keys in real time for like certain hits or transitions. Okay. And yeah. How much of that is improvised and how much of that is, uh, <laughs> you know, you've got that pre-planned. Well, here's what I'm going to do at this particular point in time. Oh, it's absolutely organized chaos, to be honest. Like, <laughs> it totally is. Like, sometimes I'm like, I, I structure things so I don't have to think as much on stage. That's kind of my main goal. If I can simplify a workflow, like one example would be um, that Roland SPD drum pad that I'm smacking uh, and playing. I have uh, a Max for Live device um, that my friend Toby made. Um, he runs ableton.drummer.com. Give give him a, a look if you guys are into that. He's brilliant. Uh, shout out Toby, but uh, he's he was also my podcast. But he talks. He, he sent me this SPD changer so I can have the SPD for every song. I'll just create like a MIDI clip in Ableton Live, um, and then it'll automatically switch the banks in there for me for every song. Because that's just like one less thing. Like you don't want to be vibing out and the crowds dancing and like everybody's really into it, and then you're just like 
oh, well, I missed that one change. And then you hit the drum pad and it's like a kick drum on top of an 808 kick. And it's just like, you know, you don't want to, <laughs> you don't want to have to think about too much, you know, and get really comfortable. So I have a lot of automation set up in my set, probably more than most people do. Um, but I do believe like simple is better, especially if you're trying to set up a performance on stage, the more you can automate and make your life easy up there. So you can just really vibe with the crowd, I think is most important. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the things I've, I've most wrestled with, with using Ableton to DJ is that there are so many different creative possibilities. I, I spend months tinkering with things, trying to get it just right. And then I'll learn something else and then I'll tinker with something else. And it, it's a constantly evolving project, which is good on the one hand, but on the other hand, you know, it, it makes it very hard to settle on a DJing workflow. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think one of the things that, that always concerns me, I, I absolutely love Ableton. I, I'm less excited about win windows. And every time I see a blue screen of death on windows, I think what happens if that ever occurs on stage, you know, what is your backup plan? Because it sounds like everything is flowing through your computer in Ableton. What's your backup plan if, if your computer melts down on stage? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think that's why redundancy is so important for major shows and tours. Um, basically just meaning we have two of everything. Okay. Kind of like, like Noah's Ark. You, you have literally just uh, two laptops and run them and clock them together in some kind of uh, MIDI port. So um, basically you just make sure that the signal is routed. You have an interface that are two interfaces that are going to send out the same signal to front of house. Um, and actually shout out Laura Escaday. <laughs> I feel like I talk about her on every podcast episode. She was a, she was a, a huge help for me learning some of the playback engineering side um, with Ableton Live. So I took her master track years ago and she runs electronic creatives and they basically um, work with a lot of major label artists in helping set up their tours. So they go to the artists and they say, Hey, let's figure out how to take your stems from the studio and set them up for live performance in the way that you envision it, the way you want it. Um, whether, you know, that artist is playing guitar and singing or needs a, a bunch of patch changes in their synthesizer with Ableton to change sounds or whether they want to loop, you know, it's kind of the job of the playback engineer to work with that artist and the production team and sometimes even lighting and running lighting cues out for major productions, large tours. But kind of back to what you were saying, getting on a tangent is the redundancy is a big part of her process. And I was really thankful to learn some of that from her. Um, so, but I feel like for like smaller shows, the best thing you can do is just to practice and try to run the exact live setup that you're going to have and, and practice enough times where, you know, it's stable, it's a stable environment. I think that's the best you can do unless you want to buy two laptops and two interfaces. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people are on a budget, maybe can't do that right away. Uh, yeah. get it, get a good laptop and get a good interface. That's really all you need. And uh, if you if you have those two things, you'll be fine. I think if you set it up in a stable thing, there's certain plugins I don't use on stage because, I mean, like, <laughs> I've had scary stage moments. Trust me. And there's there's nothing worse than just having your screen go black when you're on stage. I I actually had my power supply go out once, and it was like one of my first shows in indie, and it was thankfully it was at the very end of a song, and uh, <laughs> the song was over. It wasn't a super packed show. I mean, there's probably like 80, 90 people there. It was pretty small, but uh, it was definitely <laughs> one of those moments. Where you're just like, oh shit, like what do I do now? So. Yeah. So the last song, your computer goes dark. Well, it was actually in the middle of the set, but it was at the end of the song, thankfully. So then I just kind of had a moment where I was like, well, I probably should just start talking to the crowd while I plug this in. So I just like told, <laughs> I told dad jokes for like two minutes until my, I got my set back up. But yeah, it was, it was a good time. So yeah, always have dad jokes in your back pocket for anybody that wants to start <laughs> performing live. Now, like, I, I thought you just had fur babies at this point, or do you have, you have young kids? Oh, for me? Uh, no, no, I actually just have, uh, I have like a stuffed pillow. That's kind of a joke. Like he's like the studio manager. His name's Jerry. Uh, <laughs> he's like a sloth, like this giant sloth pillow, but I don't have any pets right now. I had a dog rest in peace, but, um, yeah, I'm definitely at the point now where I'm not ready for kids yet. Okay. All right. 
Um, I meant to ask, Laura Escaday, she sounds familiar. Was she on the Mr. Bill podcast a while back? Yeah, she was. Actually, her and Mr. Bill have been on my podcast, too. Um, okay. Laura's a good friend, and I mean, she um, she was the first Ableton certified trainer. So I don't know how long ago that was, but she was, she was the first Ableton certified trainer um, and kind of got her start with Kanye. That was like her big up and coming electronic creative creatives project. And she, I think she just got so busy getting calls, you know, as he was, he was already pretty popular at that time. And then she just started training a team to basically contract out to do playback for her. Yeah. So. I remember that episode. I was, I was really, really fascinated. I, I kind of feel like how many, how many Ableton certified trainers are there now? Do you know? Um, there's 300 of us that I know of right now. I think there's a couple, there's a little more than 300, but it's, it's close to that. Okay. I kind of feel like I'm talking to a Jedi Knight. (laughs) I don't know about that, man. I mean, I do love Star Wars though. I will say that like the Mandalorian, I'm a big baby Yoda fan. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. He's a hero. So what does, what does it take when you say you're an Ableton certified trainer, you're one of 300 ish. Um, what does that mean? What's the process for becoming Ableton certified? You know, I actually get this question a lot. Um, and unfortunately I'm actually not allowed to answer. <laughs> oh, I, okay. we, yeah, all, all certified trainers have to sign an NDA. Um, but I, I will tell you that it, it's an interview process. Um, and anybody can be certified. And if you're out there and you're like, I really want to be Ableton certified someday, uh, my best advice would be to, um, start teaching what you know, and maybe make a couple YouTube tutorials, um, share them with your friends, um, learn as much as you can about not just Ableton as a doll, but like get really good at explaining it to other people. Cause I think that's what um, Ableton as a company really wants for certified trainers. They want somebody who's a good communicator. Um, I think like the, the persona and like the integrity of the person I think is really important too, because in, in a way you kind of carry some of the brand name. Um, so I will say that's another thing, um, you know, but I, I think, you know, somebody who's actively involved in music and also in education in some format, I think is really important. Um, so yeah, those are those are. If you want to go down the path, uh, it, it's. <laughs> I actually I didn't make it the first time. So when I applied to become a certified trainer, that would have been like 2016 maybe. Uh, I was recently certified in 2020 January. So right before COVID just swept the country is when I got certified. Oh um, wow, that was great timing because you've you've got an online school too, and that adds a lot of credibility. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I've done, so I actually uh, am, was before that, I was the Ableton user group organizer for Indianapolis. When I moved here in the city, I was like, man, like, there's not a lot of people around here actually teaching, like, modern dance music production at, like, a higher level. There was just nobody doing it. And there was a university, I'm not going to name who, but the program was just kind of like, eh, and I didn't hear great reviews. And so I was, you know, I just was like kind of ventured off, and that's when I approached Lodge Studios, where I met Mac Miller and uh, Machine Gun Perry, and a lot of those other people. Uh, I started teaching there because it's like nobody in the city is really doing it. And uh, honestly, I'm going on a tangent. I don't know where I was going with this. <laughs> what was the question that we talked about? <laughs> I, I was just asking about. You said you got turned down the first time for being an Ableton certified. Oh yes, um, thank you. Yeah. So I, I was an, a user group organizer and, and that was a big way to market the lodge and the classes I was teaching there is like, hey, let's host these free events teaching Ableton and what I know and getting some other producers who, you know, are, are pretty cool, like get them in on it and too and just start these workshops and hang out and build friends and build a community. And it started to, you know, do pretty well. Like the first time we did it, there was like three people that showed up and you know, it was like, Hey, what's up? And like, we had a terrible like projector and you can barely see. And then after, after we did it a couple of times, like we ended up using some pretty nice studio spaces around town, kind of hopped around to different venues, built a cool community. Uh, I think there's like 400 and some members now in the group. Um, but yeah, that was, that was, I think a big catalyst for helping me get certified coming back full circle. And, uh, and, um, you know, anybody listening, 
Ableton has a lot of user groups around the country, uh, in, especially in all the major cities. So if you're near like a capital or a major city in the States and even internationally as well, um, definitely go on Facebook and just search for, you know, like for me, it'd be the Indianapolis Ableton user group or, you know, Denver Ableton user group. And there, there should be meetups. And if there's not meetups and say you're experienced with Ableton or you want to build a community, uh, you can contact Ableton on their website and ask to start a user group. And I would recommend that. I think, you know, the more, the better. Just build those local communities of producers. What's the, what's the benefit of going through Ableton to set up those user groups instead of just creating your own meetup? Um, well, actually, Ableton, I don't know what their policy stands on this now, but getting started, they actually, well, they'll put you on the Ableton.com website as a resource. So the credibility of directing people saying, hey, I am the representative for Ableton for the city as a user group organizer, that's one. Um, but also, they'll, they'll help build some of the following. They actually ran a couple of Facebook ads um, to build some of our meetups starting out in the very beginning. So that was pretty helpful. Um, they're just, I think there's the company's just really great about community and building that up. That is good. Okay. Um, now are you still involved with that, uh, Ableton group in Indianapolis or, or have you, are you focusing more on your tutoring and your, your live producers online platform? Yeah, I've been trying to do one meetup a month. It's just been really hard. Obviously COVID took a toll and kind of made that a little more difficult. Um, so coming back into it, I've, I've been really slammed just working on my own project, Philia, that we talked about with my own music. And, uh, you know, the time management struggle can be so real sometimes, as you <laughs> said. So I, right now I'm really investing in, in just teaching. Um, I started a new master class teaching Ableton Live at a deeper level. And, you know, some people are newer, some are more experienced. So sometimes people join my membership and need more personal attention. So that's been keeping me pretty busy lately. Um, and yeah, just the, the podcast, my Ableton music producer podcast is the name of it. And just really amping up that now that I've getting more sponsorship. So yeah, I love doing the user group events in Indianapolis, definitely. Um, but I, it's just a matter of being able to either teleport or have more time management. Tell me, tell me some more about live producers online and the masterclass that you guys are, that you just started. Yeah, so right now it's actually there's two of us. Um, in the beginning, I, I hit up several other Ableton certified trainers and I, I started the website, what was it, like two and a half years ago, almost three years ago, and hit up some other certified trainers about teaching through it. And then realizing when you're paying out a bunch of people to start something, it's, it's a lot of work because not only am I managing you know, the marketing and the promotion side of the website and also um, paying all these certified trainers to teach through it. It was a lot. So I ended up scaling it back a little bit just to me and another guy named Michael. And um, right now we're teaching through there. Uh, he teaches a lot of really great like house techno productions. And I focus a lot more on like the mixing and uh, Ableton production hacks and just getting started and workflow. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a it's been a wild journey, man. Um, I've had sponsorships for the podcast, which has really been uh, through the site as well, with like uh, Melodics and Subpack and Archuria and Adams Audio and Loopmasters and a lot of great company connections through that process of starting that site. So how how did the sponsorships come about? Did you approach them after you had a certain number of podcasts, or was it um, they approached you, or yeah, it was both. It's been both. I've had some of them reach out to me. There's been, so as a certified trainer, one of the perks is, you know, I can hit up a plugin company and be like, hey, can I have a free plugin? <laughs> and so uh, through that process, some of the plugins I've downloaded, I'm like, wow, this is really good stuff. Um, like recently, uh, Polyverse, they make some really interesting plugins and good hurts. Um, and just playing with their plugins and then reaching out to them being like, Hey, would you uh, be interested in sponsoring the podcast? I really love your products. And they're like, yeah. So that's been a big part of it too. Okay. Was the podcast, all right. So your podcast, you've got 80 some odd episodes. So did you start about January, 2020 also? Um, no, actually I, I started that. I think in like, what was it? November of 2018, I think. 
or okay, begin, so you, beginning of 2019. So you're running bi-weekly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right now I'm actually going to be doing it more weekly though. I've hired somebody to help do a lot of outreach for the podcast, but yeah, I mean, the podcast has been great. And you know, one thing that I love about podcasting is, is I feel like I've just kind of had a passion for learning and I think that's really helped me in a lot of ways is it's just get really good at learning and stay passionate for practicing. You know, that's something um, I actually talked about with Da Vinci. He was a major player with the MPC with finger drumming um, mm -hmm. and worked a lot with the company and NPCs. And he's brilliant producer. He runs uh, the uh, studio sensei is like his website. And he does a lot of, teaching like the mental state of producing and being an artist and fighting imposter syndrome and procrastination and all that stuff that kills creativity sometimes. But he was on the podcast and he talked a lot about just like the staying passionate about practicing. And that's, that's hard because if you can get really good at practicing or you just can find a way to fall in love with it, you're going to get really good at anything, you know? It's so if like, if I want to be an amazing, you know, disc jockey, then I'll just start practicing all the time and find a way to fall in love with it. And if I just do it all the time in my spare time, I'm going to get better at it naturally. So music production, I think is no exception. Yeah. I, I feel like it's kind of a chicken and egg question. You know, do you get really good at something because you love doing it and therefore you do it more? Or do you find a way to love something you want to be good at and then develop the skill? Yeah, I, I could see it being a little bit of both. Honestly, um, I think that, you know, there's a lot of the, I mean, regardless of that, I think there's a lot of mental headspace that comes into play that can create barriers for people to reach where they want to go um, when it comes to producing. Like there's times where, you know, I'll sit down and I've had, I've definitely struggled with imposter syndrome. And for anybody listening who's never heard of that, basically just means that you, you've reached a level of success by accident somehow. Or so, for example, maybe you produce a track and it's just like that favorite track ever, right? And after you've been doing it for years and years, and then you sit down and you write something and it's crap. And then you're just, and then you think to yourself, well, maybe I just accidentally got lucky and made an awesome track. But really it's, it's subjective, right? Because somebody else might think that track's amazing. Some other people might think it's stupid. So for me, it's just fighting that mentality of like, no, like every time I sit down, I have the uh, ability to make something new and not put pressure on myself when creating it. That's been, that's been a big thing for me lately, especially, especially. So I, I'm sorry. So what is it for you when you start feeling like you're an imposter, you, you try to coach yourself to relax and just enjoy the process and not worry about success or failure. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I think just being really consciously aware of like, why am I thinking the way I'm thinking right now in the moment? And then especially in a creative realm, um, you know, I'm sh have you talked about the flow state much on this podcast at all? We have some, yeah, but, but tell me about what that means to you. Yeah, I think part of the flow state is really just getting out of your head and more into like your body. And I know that might sound kind of like hippie-ish or whatever, but for me, it's a real thing. Just getting into a place where it's like, I'm going to feel my way more through the music. Once you have the technical knowledge, um, than, than trying to overthink things. And, and one thing kind of with that in the flow state is and being able to like continue to be creatively in the moment and just moving forward and, and making something that has a better result in the end. In my mind, a lot of it is not getting lost in the sauce of pr the technical things of producing. So I set a rule for myself and I try to stay aware of this that um, especially in the mixing stage as I'm like finishing up the track. If I turn the knob more than three times and I still don't know if it's better or not, I'm just going to leave it the way it is and move on. And I think that's, <laughs> that's really helped me kind of produce and finish more tracks because you could work on the track for 12 years if you wanted to. Yeah. And, and at some point you're just remixing yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Other than Da Vinci, do you have any other particular guests that stick out in your mind? Yeah, I've had a lot. Uh, Laura was great. Um, I've had Sylvia Massey. She was really fun. Uh, she's probably one of the greatest mixing engineers of our lifetime. 
and she's brilliant. Um, she, <laughs> she actually just bought a million dollars worth of microphones when I first met her. Like she literally was in like the, she was on a laptop in this like, I don't know, giant building it looked industrial. And she's like, yeah, we just got here or whatever. And I just ended up ordering like a million dollars worth of mics and just came in this big truck. And it was like a bunch of crazy mics. It was like a lot of really old school. She talks about it in the podcast uh, about all these really old school mics. And one of them was like dating from like the 1920s or 30s. It was pretty <laughs> wild. Yeah, this is, that was a good one. Um, talked about some playback engineering with Christian Thomas. Uh, he's in Nashville. He's worked with a lot of great artists. He's a good friend. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of podcasts on there. Yeah, I was I was scrolling through your episodes and I, I recognized a bunch of names. It looks uh, I'm I'm gonna have to subscribe. So yeah, and all of my no. listeners out there, go check check out his podcast. Thank you, Ableton Music Producers Podcast, episode seventy eighty six now. Yeah, uh, today actually just released a new one where I, I'm doing a podcast highlight now, where I'll just take like two or three minutes from uh, like seven or eight episodes and just kind of squish them together, like my favorite parts from each episode. So I did another release of that today. Um, and that's a good idea. I, I may, I may steal that. Um, do it. Yeah, totally do it. I did a, um, uh, sort of a new year's recap that I thought went pretty well. So I, I tried to go back through all the episodes and talk about the key surprising things that I had learned throughout the year, because that was kind of the reason I started this podcast is because I'm trying to constantly learn things. And so this is an opportunity to network with people, to learn new things, bring in interesting uh, speakers and, and and also kind of try to reteach it back out to my audiences so that I can learn it better myself. So I guess it's a little self-serving. Um, <laughs> that's okay though. I mean, if you can learn in the process and help other people learn, that's a beautiful thing. I, I feel the same way. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I'll definitely have to go back and listen to it myself. I'm sure there's good stuff in there, but yeah, I mean the whole marketing side, that's the thing is, you know, for artists out there, you, you could probably relate to this. You, finish a track you put so many hours into it and you're like oh i've got this amazing thing i'm going to share it into the world people are going to love it because i love it and then you post it maybe the wrong time of day or maybe it just isn't presented in the right way marketing wise and you get maybe like 15 likes and like maybe one comment and then you're like maybe i shouldn't make music anymore <laughs> when, when in all reality it's just a stupid algorithm and maybe you just need some help in actually the promotion strategy of your music because you know you can make music all day but if your goal is to reach fans and connect with more people through your music you got to have a strategy you got to give yourself ample time to have a whole entire like you know series of posts or things building up the hype to actually get to that release and that's a thing it's a lot of work can you can you give us a specific example with um, like your most recent track? What did you, how far out did you start promoting that? And what was the sort of content that you were posting leading up to the release of um, I Want You? Man, I have to give a lot of credit to my creative director, uh, Evan. He works for a very well-known company um, in the music industry. He, he was at Paradigm and uh, they split. He's with another company now. And he's really helped me a lot with some of my strategy and music promotional type of things. He actually built this crazy, <laughs> he built this crazy Excel spreadsheet. It looks like something an alien made um, where I can type in the date of my release and it kind of spits out like all these activities that I should do leading up to it. And, wow. like, and timestamps and dates that he's used, I think with other artists or whatever. Um, so that's been actually kind of helpful. And I'm wondering if I, and it might take me a second. I can even pull it up and reference it real quick. Um, yeah, I'll just read it to you. It, it's all, a lot of it's pretty simple, straightforward stuff, but it's a nice checklist to have. Um, let me go back. So it's like eight weeks out is kind of when it starts. It says finish off the tracks and for distribution. I use DistroKid personally. Um, I also have used CD Baby, which I liked as well. Shout out. Um, but then like four weeks out, um, do some like marketing plan prep um, and then also have like any lyrics written out, have the art organized way file, like a one sentence description pitch on what the song is, which you can um, upload to 
the uh, Spotify, what is it, pre-save? I'm not saying the right word. Uh, they have the, like um, pitching, pitching on Spotify. Right. You can pitch to the playlisters, basically. And so giving that at least four weeks out um, is another part of that. And then um, just making sure you have like, you know, if you have the ability to do some kind of like press partner or have like a growth partner where you maybe submit out through like blogs or something else, you know, at least give that at least four weeks out where you send all the packages of like the wave, the, the little bio on the description of the song, how it's made with your mini pitch. Um, and then package all that up into like, you know, uh, say Dropbox or something in a really clean formatted way that you could pitch to people just to say, see if you know, get some, some extra, buzz and promo off of the track about to release and then doing that press outreach. Um, and then just follow up with them. If you don't hear from them at least one and a half weeks out, then do, um, basically upload and schedule out like a YouTube video for visuals. Uh, Evan, good guy. He's, he's done some really cool uh, artwork for me as well. Uh, that's actually kind of one of the first things we connected on. I met him through a friend of a friend. And uh, he's, he does a lot of artwork with me and for me. But we always create a video. Uh, we create like two videos. Basically, we create one video that's like a short blurb for the socials when the, the song actually releases. And then we put some ad spend into that on Instagram and Facebook. And, um, and then we have like the actual full length video. And it's just like it could be a simple motion graphic. You know, and there's a lot of websites out there you can look up that will do that for you. Just upload your artwork to it and you can just do some kind of cool effect. Just having that motion of something to present, you know, is I think helpful for catching people's eye on socials. But yeah, and then we'll basically just kind of get all that in place, um, do a blog post on it on my website about the song, do some IG story posts every day leading up at least one week out, talking about the song in some way. Um, and then for my live producer's side for teaching, I always do a track breakdown. And then I upload that um, for people who are my members who subscribe monthly. They can go in and see how I build out the track and break it down. And then um, I'll do an email blast talking about it, asking people to pre-save. Um, definitely try to pre-save as much as I can. Send it out an email following up like two days out. Then I'll do um, some other things. Yeah, that, that was basically just like a really quick read through this, this sheet. But th those are kind of some of the steps that I take preparing for a song release. Yeah, that that is super thorough. That um, sounds like you've got all your bases covered. I, I was um, I, I took some endopreneur courses as well, and I remember Kyle talking about it, he didn't at the time that he recorded it feel like pre saves were worth the effort um, because Spotify didn't seem to be valuing the pre saves because the people that were saving were your followers anyway, and were probably going to receive a notification on their new release playlist anyway. So yeah. do you have an opinion on that? Um, that's tough, man. I mean, Kyle's pretty smart. He knows what he's doing. For me personally, I, I like to do that to my green light audience, but I won't spend a majority of the release budget on that. Um, because, I mean, there's times where I post, I've posted songs before. You know, and I did this. I, had, I felt like I had a good amount of energy behind it. And there's still people that followed my Instagram that for whatever reason they were off Instagram for that week or whatever, um, or those couple days that I was promoting the pre-release. And, you know, they're like, I didn't know that was coming. Like, I just met them in public. They're like, I had no idea. So I don't know. For me, it's like, you know, having the consistency and stretching out the length of a post about pre-saving rather than just putting a bunch of money and just expecting everybody to pre-save it and putting most of my ad budget towards that. I wouldn't do that. But um, even just to market to people that are already following my pages and just putting a little ad spend, I think can help people maybe who haven't been on the platform for a couple of days, you know, if I'm running it for like five days long or something. Yeah. It, it seems like if you're going to do a pre-save there, there ought to be some sort of audio content. So maybe people that aren't already your followers can hear what it sounds like. And then they may pre-save and those would be new listeners as opposed to simply reaching the same audiences that are already subscribed to you on Spotify anyway. 
Yeah, I mean, like Tone Den, I'm pretty sure you can do that with that platform. It's a paid platform. I used to use it before they started charging a bunch for it. But I mean, even <laughs> even in disc, even in DistroKid, to be honest, um, they have like a preview of your track. If you actually distribute it or like upload it early enough in advance, you can set like a preview to play on the page where people will pre-save anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah. You said you use both CD Baby and DistroKid. How do you decide to use one or the other? No, I used to use CD Baby, and then now I now I use DistroKid, which honestly, I mean, they're both good platforms. I, I'm not an expert in the features between the two of them, to be honest. Um, and I know CD Baby has upgraded quite a bit of features for their artists now that they didn't have when I was using it back in the day. So definitely, I think, still worth considering. They also have a really cool a DIY conference for artists that I went to in Austin, Texas two years ago. That was a lot of fun. And oh, okay. They, they do a lot with artist marketing or, you know, there's a DIY musician podcast. I don't know if you've ever listened to that. I, I have. In fact, uh, I, I've got one of the hosts uh, that's going to be on the podcast in a couple of weeks. So Kevin, I'm excited about that. Uh, it is Chris. Oh, Chris. Cool. Yeah, yeah. No, Chris is great. Um I haven't met Chris, but Kevin was actually on my podcast. He's the other host, both of them together. <laughs> we're, we're all just passing passing guests around, but that's awesome. That's hilarious. Yeah, small world, man. Pe- people who like to talk. So. That's true. We're a bunch of extroverts just figuring out this thing called music. <laughs> awesome. Well, you've, you, you certainly have your hands in a lot of things from um, – teaching your master classes to running your podcast to philia music um what are your big goals for this coming year moving out of the pandemic man that's a loaded question i feel like having goals in general is something that i've uh i've been trying to get better at um uh, but yeah definitely I, I think this year i would like to grow some of my membership um, on my website. So I have like a number that I'm reaching for with that. I also have, um, you know, I have an EP that I'm working on that I'm going to be releasing later this year. We haven't put an exact date on it yet, but I'm, I'm pretty stoked for that. And this is actually, you're the first person to hear this. Actually, I'm going to announce it on Thursday, but I'm going to be doing a, like a sample interaction with my fans. So people can submit, if you go to affiliamusic.com slash sample me, you can upload any random sample. It could be like you flossing your teeth or, you know, you hear a duck quacking on your back porch, like anything, just upload it, send it to me. And I'm, I'm going to pick a big handful of them and put them into the EP that I'm releasing later this year and just chop them up and make bangers in Ableton with them. So that'll be fun. That's, that's a new project that I'm really going all in on the next couple months. That is awesome. That is, and it is so funny you say that. Um, on my website, I just installed a new plugin um, that allows people to leave basically voice memos, and the free version of this software lets them do up to thirty seconds. And cool. so, one of the things that I'm working on right now is getting people to submit audio samples that I then work into live performances. I hadn't thought about actually incorporating them into a a formal release, but I'm, I'm kind of thinking along the same lines. So that's you interesting. Would, you'd include them in live performances. Like how so? Um, so what I've, what I am developing is I'll take instrumental versions of lesser known tracks. You know, I'm not, I'm not using like Avicii tracks and stuff like that where everybody knows the melody, but I'm taking more obscure house track instrumentals. And then I will build out MIDI clips that run in parallel with automation for reverb, chorus effects, a lot of stock Ableton plugins. Okay. And so then the idea is I'll get a sample either right before the show or submitted prior to the show through a unique URL. And then I'll work those samples into select clips during the DJ set. And the theory is that'll help to hold people's attention because everybody's going to be going, oh, wait, wait, that's me. I hear myself. Yeah, that's Um, cool. That's a cool idea. That's awesome. I actually, I actually did something very similar to that, but it was live on stage in the audience, and it was kind of a gamble. I didn't know how it was going to turn out. I was like, "This is either going to be really cool or it's going to be really terrible." So I ended up basically in Ableton. Created a long story short, created a like a simpler inside of a drum rack, and I at one point in the middle of the set, 
I just like was like, yo, I, uh, I need some crowd participation. Who wants to yell into the mic? So I just like went, jumped into the crowd off the stage and it was a pretty, it was a pretty packed, packed house. It was fun. And, uh, just had somebody yell, Hey, into the mic. And then at that point I was recording the whole time. And then I had my bandmates, Andy just started playing some keys intro and gave me like a good minute and 10 seconds worth of time to buy when I triggered the next track. And I just went to my laptop real fast and did a couple quick moves and uh, ended up putting an effect on it and pitch shifted it. And then I started playing that person's hey voice um, when the first drop came in on the track and on my, my small little MPK keyboard. It was like playing the hey. And people lost their minds. Like you would have thought... You would have thought that they saw aliens. People were like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> It was really fun. And ever since then, I'm like, man, I need to, we need to do that again. Definitely. That was about two years ago. Yeah. Why haven't, why haven't you done it again if it, if it had that sort of an effect? I, well, I like barely pulled it off, man. It made me so nervous. And then I just – I changed some of the setup that we had. So I just kind of never went back to that. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just need to. I should just do it. I mean, I found – other ways I think to engage the audience, but I, I would love to do that again. Like I said, oh, I changed okay. my, I changed my entire setup, um, for our, our live performances. So that kind of got lost, but I'll definitely, I could bring that back out. It's, it's worth doing again. Yeah. I feel like everybody likes to hear their own voice. So, you yeah. know, I, I think that would be a good way to get the, the audience, um, interested. So yeah, anyway, yeah, I'll let you fun. know, I'll let you know once, uh, once I get a performance that, uh, uses that heavily. Yeah, that'd be cool, man. I'd love to see it. Speaking of performances, you've got the Livestock Music Festival coming up. I saw you post about that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, Josh is uh, he's a friend of a friend, and he runs that festival. Um, I think it's pretty wild, man. <laughs> they were throwing a festival. It was like when was that? It had been like September or November of last year when like. It was still lockdown COVID, but it was kind of like people were like coming out of the woods, kind of poking their heads out of the house, you know, kind of mm -hmm. like, is it safe to go out and to events now kind of thing? And, I, you know, that was like right before I think a lot of vaccinations rolled out or whatever. But um, it was a pretty good sized festival. I think there was like 2000 people. It was and wow. I almost we almost didn't play it. Um, I almost backed out of that one just because of that. And I was just concerned. But it was outside. It was a drive-in theater. It was like it wasn't a full drive-in theater show. It was like a mixed between like a drive-in and not drive-in. I don't know. It was interesting, but it was a fun festival. I mean, the production value was fantastic. He hired some amazing lighting, stage people. Um, it's actually on a giant CBD hemp farm, so that was a lot of fun. Um, we played that last year, and we're going to play again this year in the September. Uh, so we're expecting at least like two or three times that that crowd. Um, it's a really fun festival. It's a lot more jam bandy, I guess you could say. I like, um, but they have some decent lineup on there. So yeah, we'll, it'll be fun to go back and play that. Will be the the more bassy dance part of the festival, I guess. Awesome. Any any other big highlights you're looking forward to this year? I mean, that EP I think is a big one. To be honest, um, pretty excited with a lot of the new music I'm making. Uh, you know, I started dating uh, somebody and she DJs under the name Snacks with three X's and she goes really hard, like with dub stuff. So she's like, oh, like heavy, heavy stuff. And her fans are crazy. And I've been going to a lot of her shows just recently and uh, she's inspired me to make some heavier stuff. So I think the, the jazzy bass might lean a little more on the bass with the jazz. <laughs> <It'll> be, <laughs> Sounds be like fun. a collaboration in the future for you guys. Yeah, totally. She's really getting into Ableton just now. So it's like date night is, you know, couple goals, spending time in Ableton. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, awesome. Well, I wish, wish you two the best of luck this year and, and Thanks, uh, man. good luck with the EP and uh, livestock and, and growing your live producers online base. Thank you. Yeah, no, and same to you. Once again, I appreciate you having me on the podcast and if anybody you know, wants to connect on the socials. Uh, my handle is just Philia Music. That's P-H-I-L-I-A Music. And I uh, would love to meet anybody out there listening. So hit me up. And then the Ableton Music Producer Podcast. Um, yeah. Been pretty and that's pushed. on Spotify and all the major yeah. uh, pod, yeah. podcatchers. 
Yep, pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcast, that's you'll find it. But but yeah, man, this is a great podcast you've been doing. Keep up the good work, and uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, thanks so much. The pleasure is all mine, and it, it's been fun. Cool. Yeah, I'll see you soon. Hopefully. Thanks so much for listening this week. I've got a bunch of links for you on the show notes page, including links to Dan's music, podcast, and website. I'll also link the hardware and some of the resources we discussed, so make sure you visit theproducerlifepodcast.com and look for episode 79. While you're there, make sure you sign up for my email list where I send out periodic tips, tricks, and freebies. Until next time, this is the House Ninja reminding you to be somebody's hero today. (laughs) 